This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. Good morning, everybody. How are you all doing today? It's Sabrina here with the morning break, and I'm hoping you're going to enjoy today's show on CPG with Nicola McCluskey. We're we'll talking about time, managing it all, how you're going to fit it all in. It's going to be this great, is great Teachers day. Talk Radio, and you are listening live. Tune in live at ttradio.org or to join in the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TT Radio. Tune in, talk it out with Teachers Talk Radio. Involved. Involved. Teaching is a rewarding profession, but it comes with its fair share of challenges. That's where ADAPT come in. We're not your typical trade union, but instead a modern, apolitical alternative, offering expert legal, employment and mental health support. Protection without the politics. So what makes ADAPT different? We're always apolitical and independent, specialised solely in supporting individual teachers, Our caseworkers are professionally qualified, ensuring you always get the best advice. Plus, there's 24-7 mental health support. Whether it's a simple contract check or handling serious allegations, EDAPT are here for you. Join the thousands of educators who've chosen EDAPT to protect their careers. Subscribe at edapt.org.uk today. EDAPT. Supporting school staff. Protecting careers. This is Teachers Talk Radio, and this is Teachers Talk Radio News. The BBC covers reports that Labour has dropped plans to end charitable status for private schools. The status exempts some private schools in England and Wales from taxes. The Labour leader, Sakia Starmer, had previously said charitable status for private schools could not be justified. The party said it will still remove other tax breaks if it wins the next general election. There are around 2,500 private schools in England and Wales, and government figures show around half are registered as charities. Having charitable status means the schools cannot operate for profit and are eligible to claim some tax exemptions, including on donations and business rates. Since 2006, private schools have had to demonstrate they are creating public benefit in order to maintain their charitable status. Labour has said it would charge private schools 20% VAT and end business rates relief. It says this could raise an estimated £1.7 billion. A party spokesperson said the money would fund desperately needed teachers and mental health counselling in every secondary school. Last year, the Scottish Government scrapped business rate relief for private schools. The Conservatives have questioned whether tax changes would raise the £1.7 billion as claimed by Labour. The problem of RAC was highlighted again as parents with children at a secondary school in Durham, affected by the potentially unsafe concrete, staged a protest. Parents told schools minister Baroness Barron, who was visiting the school, that there had to be more support for the teachers and pupils and that the school must be rebuilt. The school is using a mix of face-to-face and online teaching after RAC was found shortly before the return to school from the summer break. The multi-academy trust in charge of the school has asked the DfE if it could use centre-assessed grades for GCSE and A-level pupils similar to the way assessment was used during the pandemic. A DfE spokesman said it was working to bring back face-to-face teaching quickly and that the school would be rebuilt. Procurement, design and planning stages would be started before the end of the year. Schools Week reports on MPs' comments that government should create a school absence code specifically for mental health and review the adequacy of health services struggling with soaring waiting lists. The Parliamentary Education Committee has also urged the government to make its daily attendance data collection mandatory as soon as possible. 
The committee found growing demand for mental health services and special educational needs support, as well as the cost of living pressures and other issues, have compounded problems with attendance. However, Schools Minister Nick Gibbs said changes would add further complications for schools in coding absence, which could damage the accuracy of data. Full details of the committee's recommendations can be found in the article in Schools Week Online. The Guardian covers news that in America, students at more than 50 high schools across the country are proposing a Green New Deal for schools. They are demanding that their districts teach climate justice, create pathways to green jobs and plan for climate disasters. The campaign is seen as a reaction to right-wing efforts to ban or suppress climate education and activism at school. The national effort would see teach-ins, walkouts and petitions. The New Deal also calls for updated buildings and infrastructure to make schools more climate resilient. Further details can be found on the Guardian website. Finally, the Nuffield Trust has said that student loans in England should be written off for certain health staff once they have completed 10 years of NHS service. It says this is needed to stop a dropout crisis among nurses, midwives and other frontline staff. Ministers have rejected the idea, saying support is already in place and that the current student finance system strikes the right balance between the interests of students and taxpayers as well as highlighting training grants, support for childcare and some expenses. Tuition fees are not charged in Scotland and in Wales, tuition fees are covered if nurses and other frontline staff work for the NHS for two years. This has been your Teachers Talk Radio News with Jo Fox. Good morning, everybody. Thank you for joining me again on Teachers Talk Radio. And today we're going to be talking about CPD. What does it mean to you? What are your barriers? What do you enjoy? And do we have time for it? So we're going to go straight in with my guest today, Nicola McCluskey. Would you please introduce yourself? My name's Nicola McCluskey. I'm Learning Development Manager in an FE college. Nice. Thanks for joining us today, Nicola. So first of all, what does your job entail? Learning and development. Staff training mainly, but what I've learned over the last probably 12 months or so is that sometimes a lot of it is supporting staff. So supporting staff to develop in the role that they're in, maybe if they're changing roles. Um, a lot of the work I've been doing as well is around key updates and updating staff on changes at college, um, anything that's changed around the inspection framework and also staff CPD days, so trying to get everybody together, share good practice, and we've had some success with that in the last year. Brilliant. So we're going to get some info on the successes, I hope, and some ideas and how other people can start supporting and, and take some good advice and guidance from yourself. But obviously you've mentioned quite a lot there. Big job role. It is, and I think bigger than I probably give it credit for support <laughs> before I took it on. I think when you were because I came from curriculum, so I've taught for 15 years prior to coming into this role, and my subject was humanity, so sociology, criminology, access, that kind of thing. All the ologies. All the ologies, and also sort of um, AG within an FE setting. And oh, I, we talked about that last time, didn't yeah. we? <laughs> so I think I had a preconceived idea about what learning and development was and what staff CPD looked like from my perspective in curriculum, but actually, it's like looking at it from a very different perspective. I think that's what I've learned as well in the last 12, 18 months is it's actually far greater and it, it can be quite innovative as well. I think if you've got the right ideas and the right support around you, I think it's it's an opportunity to really be creative. I think I've learned this the last 18 months or so. So why is it when you were in curriculum, you didn't have that viewpoint on it? Um, I think it might have been from the offer that we got so it may be that I maybe didn't uptake it as much and I don't think I potentially thought a lot about my own staffs about my own sorry CPD needs we're coming out of it and looking at it with fresh eyes from a very different perspective I think it has opened my eyes to realize that we can be doing far more creative things and you know, not just attending a one-off CPD session and what I've 
been thinking about as well in reflection around the role is staff need the time to do the CPD and most importantly do something with it and I think that's the most important thing that I've taken from it so we'll give staff these opportunities come to the training learn this learn that but actually the biggest benefit is how can we allow them that capacity to do something with it try it reflect on it you know and be okay with the fact that sometimes this innovation doesn't work either and know a lot about reflective practice and yeah is that because you've got the time now and no one else has well i don't know <laughs> i don't know if anybody who ever works in fa has such a thing called time but i think i've been given a huge opportunity to, to look at it from a different perspective and i think one of the most important things is i think the fact that i've came from curriculum in the college that i'm now learning development manager for mm -hmm. so i think when you go into staff with these ideas i think i'm very aware of the fact that I'm asking them to potentially do something that they potentially don't have a lot of time for, but also the fact that you've walked in their shoes. So you know exactly what it's like to teach in an FE college and do the job that they've done. So I, I do think that helps the role. And I think the relationships I've already built with staff as well, I think that's that's helped the role as well. So would you say it's probably easier or more advantageous to be a development manager learning and development manager if you know the kind of institution you've worked in there and they've seen you walk in their shoes prior to then saying right now you need to do these training courses i think it's been very advantageous i think I've, that's probably again something i've reflect, reflected on a lot but it is i am in the same college mm -hmm. so i do know pretty much all of the staff and at some point i've probably worked with a lot of them but i I do think, and I'd like to think that I go into the plans around staff CPD realistically in relation to you knowing what their workload is and the environment that they're working in and maybe it's the constraints that they have on the timetables and time and and also what's valuable to teachers. Because I think sometimes you can have CPD that's, you know, sounds like a great idea, but is it going to benefit the staff and in turn is it going to benefit the learner experience? But there obviously are limitations with you being an insider in the development. So you might you might have biases, you might have uh, different expectations for different people based on your previous knowledge or preconceived ideas, whereas someone fresh might be quite brutal and, and being <laughs> no. Um, You're right. I think we I do have that advantageous aspect and perspective. I think potentially, especially when I look back at the department that I potentially came from, you know. I They're know, obviously the best part. Oh, well. <laughs> but what I've also learned this year, and well, and prior to that, is coming out of that department and looking at the college on that real wide scope that one model of CPD doesn't fit all because I've. Uh, if I look at the department I came from, I think that would be a great idea for them and I know exactly what they need. But you can't necessarily apply that model in construction or IT or those non-ology subjects because it's not really it's they need sometimes it has to be quite niche, doesn't it? Yeah. So definitely not. So well, let's go on to that then. Let's talk about some of these uh, strategies or training and, and what what have you currently been looking at? What's focused for CPD currently out there? So this academic year, I'd, what I've started to really focus on is sharing good practice. So we've got a big, big college with lots of staff who have just got years and years and years behind them of vocational industry experience, teaching experience. But if you work in an FE college, I think what you'll realise is you're sometimes pocketed into that department that you've always worked in or I want to grow it and I want staff to to talk to each other, share good practice. So I've tried to embed this year joint practice development and do some action research. Yeah. But I'm really trying to stress to the staff who've got involved, who've been really enthusiastic about it. So I'm very grateful for that, that if you know you are an English teacher, it would be great to go into a construction lesson, but if you're a construction lecturer, it's really interesting to go into hair and beauty. So you want to mix it up? I really want to mix it up, and I think that's what? where it's going to hold value, because I think irrespective of your subject content, 
the strategies that are getting used, you can still apply to your own. So a bricklaying lecturer could go into a beauty lesson and if if you ignore the content really, you can still apply the strategy that's been used in bricklaying and trying to be a little bit creative and innovative to look at how you can take that and use it in your own teaching practice. And it could be something that's quite small. It might be how a beautician deals with lateness that you could apply to bricklaying. But equally, the beautician could come to Brick Lane and think, oh, I really like the way they've dealt with developing behaviours in their lesson. Or So I'm really trying to grow that sharing of good practice across different vocational specialisms. Is there a reason why? Is there something out there policy wise or focus wise that it made you look at sharing good practice in particular? So last year at the college that I'm working at, we did a learning fair mm -hmm. so across the year we worked along well I worked closely with the quality team to look at what good practice we're having in the college because I think when you quality assuring activity it's also really important to recognize what's going well and what we are doing mm -hmm. well as an organization so we set up a learning fair just on site mm -hmm. and the staff showcased to the rest of the college what they'd done and what went well and just there was lots of conversation, really rich conversation that went in terms of how they could use it in their own practice. So we had lecturers who don't have learners who are on educational healthcare plans in their classrooms and weren't quite sure how to manage that. So they were pairing up with lecturers who work a lot with students who are on educational healthcare. Plan. It was just yeah. a real positive experience of sharing what's going on at the college across all departments. And then what was the impact of that then? So the impact was we trialled a peer observation activity. Okay. So the maths and English department got involved mm -hmm. and we paired them up with one particular department to look at how we could develop behaviours. So what we're finding is the maths and English department were seeing certain behaviours, then the subject lecturers weren't always seeing the same behaviours mm -hmm. and I think yeah and I think <laughs> students had this warped idea that those staff never communicate or talk to each other or mm -hmm. come into contact in any way and we really modelled the learning walks around them working collaboratively to look at behaviours in the subject area but also the behaviours in maths and English but the subject lecturers were really supportive of the sense that actually maths and English is a big part of your programme we want you to to you know grasp that with the same opportunity that you grasp in the vocational subject with and it was really positive the outcome and we did see an increase in positive behaviors within the group all right uh, so tangible evidenceable punctuality improved attendance improved so it was it was done on a small scale and i think that's what's led to this year's activity around action research and looking at it on a wider scope sounds very good so You've got all of these staff, all of these departments doing all of this work. You do know how busy our lecturers are. <laughs> so I sensed workload, because I think when you do, you look at CPD and, and, you know, primary schools, secondary schools, I do a lot of work with my daughter's primary school and, you know, you talk to them about staff CPD and it's the same thing and it comes back to the same thing all the time, workload. Mm -hmm. And it's about that balance, isn't it? And I think research was shown that 87%, 87% of staff in colleges and schools saw the value of it, but equally said the main thing that hindered them from getting involved was their workload. And it just, yeah. so it's about, I suppose, getting staff to recognise the value with it, but also from a management perspective, looking at, in line with the workload, how can we try and strike that balance? Any answers? Though? I sense that was coming yeah. to um, <laughs> I think, you know, we're going along the model of um, staff CPD days. So we're mm. collapsing, you know, timetables for a day and we're solely focusing on staff CPD. And yes, schools have teacher training. Yeah, days, and we're like trying that. to model yeah, that yeah. here. And I think I would like to think that the staff think that that's positive because we're not asking them to fit it in and around. We're, we're giving them that day to dedicate to their staff CPD. And what I've really tried to focus on as well is the evaluation of it. So it's like anything in education, isn't it? You try it, you look at what the impact is. You know, sometimes it's very successful, sometimes it's not. But 
as much as we need the learner voice, I think we really need the staff voice when it comes to staff CPD. Totally. What do you need and how can we support you? And sometimes it is very niche to the subject specialism, but actually sometimes it can be something that can be cross campus, cross college, that could be really beneficial. So that is something else I think um, I'm focusing on this year. What, how are the staff finding CPD opportunities and is there a gap anywhere? Mm-hmm. So what you find obviously in a lot of institutions is they, they have different policies and processes. So some CPD will be mandated, some will be optional, some institutions kind of say do what's only relevant to your subject area, some some colleges want a generalised you know, conference style, whatever. Um, what do you personally think is your approach and why? So after what you've just said, I think literally we've tried a little bit of everything. <laughs> so I, I do think, and I think what's been really positive coming out of curriculum into this role again in the college that I've worked in a long time, is that I think the management are very passionate about trying new things. So I do feel like I've been fully supported to try different models. And, you know, like we've talked about there, one model doesn't fit all. So we have tried the whole college CPD day. We have tried sh- short uh, staff key updates. We have got things going on where staff have applied for maybe financial support to do certain elements of it. We've supported other staff with time, like mm-hmm. remission to look yeah. at um, upskilling on an individual basis. So I do think, I do feel like I've got the autonomy to try different methods. Mm-hmm. So it's been it's been a really positive experience. I think it, I've, I've really enjoyed it. And I think I have had the opportunity to be quite innovative and creative. And again, like any aspect of teaching, some things have gone better than others. And but I, I think one of the things I thought when I first took the role on is you've got to get that staff buy-in, haven't you? Yeah. You've got to. That's the biggest battle. It is. It is. And I think it has to be meaningful for staff and it has to serve a purpose for staff. Because, you know, if we think about time and the idea of it as a commodity and it has to be beneficial. But ultimately, from our perspective, it also has to benefit the learner. But the, my argument has always been, um, like any other professionals, you know, if you think about doctors, if you think about lawyers, if you think about police, the fire service, anything like that, they have a constant review of their skills. They take retake tests. They have to double check that they're up to industry standard. They have to double check that they have the required updated knowledge and skills. And teaching should be no different. Um, just because you did your teaching qual doesn't mean that's the end all be all. And that used to be my argument. And I used to always say, you know, the best teachers are the forever students. Uh, I, I really still believe that today. And I think when you're dealing with FE lecturers, the you know the dual professional roles and the you know the vocational backgrounds that they come with doesn't always lend itself to that natural um, desire to continuously develop that teaching and the pedagogy. Whereas they might want to go back to industry for you yeah. know for upskilling, but not necessarily update CPD in terms of you know let's look at metacognition or neuroscience or anything like that. And I found myself personally that was the biggest struggle. Like I'm in the classroom, I know my subject. Why do I need to go into something about you know questioning techniques? So how have you? I know. Do you face those same barriers? boundaries whatever and how are you dealing with it if so so cpd in itself isn't it it's continuous professional development and i think that's something that we'll have to keep reminding ourselves of you know we've got staff who've done a pgc but it may have been 15 20 years ago Mm -hmm. and at that moment in time it was so current and it was so up to date but if we look at the um education inspection framework and how much has that changed and how much research has informed that change so we know that learners are learning in a slightly different way now. We know that curriculums are modelled in a slightly different way now. We know that we've got different expectations. We know that we've got learners who are struggling with communicative competencies and struggle to talk in lessons. So it's not just about sharing that vocational knowledge. It's it's so much about the strategies in which we're trying to get that message across to learners. So I definitely think it is a continuous and it has to be something that is 
you know, not a day a week, a day a month, but something that's continuous and repetitive just to keep staff updated and upskilled. Because I think, you know, we have a responsibility under leadership management in the EAF to, mm-hmm. to provide CPD that keeps staff up to date with research. And like you were saying, metacognition, if you, you know, what do you know about what you know? And mm-hmm. if we can get staff to embed those... Was techniques. that even a word six years ago? Yeah. You know, I mean, were, we, were we talking about it then? If we can get staff to embed those kinds of um, skills and activities into classes just to support learners in how they're learning, you know, that's nothing to do with their vocational subject, mm-hmm. but it's continuous professional development from that teaching perspective. It's interesting. I mean, like I was saying, personally, it was always about, it was always, you know, I'm sparky, I'll go out, I'll do, you know, an update, I learn how to rewire according to the new code, not interested in pedagogy. Um, for example, um, and it was like, gosh, these guys, they're just they're so intelligent. They know so much. But that buy-in wasn't there for, for the general thing. Um, and it took a good few years to change the culture of an organisation when I was working there. And I don't know if it's getting any easier now with, with like the ETH changing and with the reforms happening. Um, is that what you're finding or do you still see that? I think it's a lot to do with confidence. So I think what I'm finding with staff, particularly from those sort of industries, which, you know, they are professionals and they've been professionals in that industry for a long period of time, trying to transfer that into education. The training I've done around Ofsted and the EF and, you know, the intent of your curriculum having conversations with people around the intent of the curriculum and how they scaffold it the way that they do and how it's sequenced, why do you start there and how do you build on it? They're so competent and so knowledgeable about the subject. I think they think it has to be more than that. And I think it's not that vocational experience you bring in and that logical sequence and scaffold around the industry that you've come from is something that you can never be taught in CPD. Mm -hmm. It holds such value, doesn't it? But it's just about getting staff to recognise that actually it doesn't have to be a really academic, you know, written piece of it's your subject knowledge that allows you to sequence and scaffold your curriculum based on that vocational experience you have. But trying to recognise as well that, you know, you're not just from industry, you're now a teacher of that industry. And I think it is that dual professionalism, isn't it? Mm. But staff, I think it's I think a lot of it is down to confidence. I think to see the academic side of it is something that's maybe a little bit intimidating, but actually if you drill down to it, you know exactly what you're talking about because of that industry knowledge. And and what are you doing or how are you capturing the impact? So I know you mentioned earlier that, you know, you saw evidence in your punctuality yep. and your behaviour. I mean, when we're talking about the big O, Ofsted, and we're talking yep. about measuring the impact, and you, you, I presume, will be appraised. and your boss will say what's your impact yes so what kind of things are you going to present and what are you going to show to kind of say you know what I did my job I did it well bang there you go have a look at this (laughs) um when I think impact I think we hear it all the time don't we we're asking Mm -hmm. curriculum staff to articulate what's the impact and if I'm brutally honest I think it is difficult to measure Mm because I think you know I can quantify and I can say to our principal 25 people attended this training that I put on. Oh, but what? Well, that's great. But, you know, <laughs> what, what, what happened? I had you a know? team, but, you know. <laughs> what went on happened? behind your eyes? <laughs> so I think what I, I'm trying to look at is hopefully, well, actually, no, it's not. Hope you're asking for factual, yep. clear, factual. black and white in um, schemes of work. So I think the training that we've done around the three eyes and how we're looking at the curriculum it can be seen as evidence in the staff scheme of work quality activity as well so staff who've been engaged in training to upskill in a certain way or engage in a particular kind of activity quality are going in and sort of testing it really so you know this is the issue we've had this is how we've tried to improve it can you go in and test it and I think working alongside the quality assurance within the college has been really beneficial to try and measure impact. It's interesting that actually, because that's um, there's a few colleges and schools that I work with, 
and it tends to be quality and teaching, learning and development often work hand in hand. But is that also a flaw? Because is that then associating consequence with um, something that's supposed to be innovative and risk taking, like you mentioned earlier? Because really, if you take a risk, you make a mistake and you've got your quality managers there or you've got someone who can impact your appraisal there, it's going to, you know, is it going to take your reputation? Is it going to say, oh, yeah, there's so-and-so that couldn't get the classroom to quieten down when they were doing a quiz or a game or whatever? But if we can't allow staff that growth and opportunity to test and trial methods, mm-hmm. we're never going to know what's worked, have worked. So I think that's what I've really tried to sell in this action research currently, you know, and getting the learner on board. So tell the learner what we're doing, tell the learner what we're trying, because mm-hmm. sometimes your greatest critic, unfortunately, is your learner, isn't it? <laughs> and I think, you know, you try something and you see by the face that it's just, it's not working. It's, it's just not happening for them. Mm-hmm. And, but you've gone in with this really innovative idea and thought this is going to be epic. You know, it's going to change the face of education. Oh, yeah. And then the learner gets involved. You think, well, actually, it hasn't. So I think... That's the worst. But you spend hours and hours planning a lesson and you just end up using the whiteboard instead. Mm-hmm. But then sometimes that's the best way to do it, isn't it? <laughs> and I think I think staff associate really creative, innovative lessons with engagement. But actually, what I've read recently is actually what we need to show learners is simply in its simplest form what success looks like. Exactly. And that naturally leads to engagement. You know, digital skills and lessons is amazing and it does, you know, digital native students are now aren't they you know they're coming with such high digital skills where they're born into just a technological world mm-hmm. but equally sometimes they can have a piece of pen and paper can have, or a whiteboard or so I think in answer to your question we have to allow staff that safe space to be creative but in a way that we are or in a sense quality assuring to give them the skills to recognize whether it is successful or it isn't so I think my role, a lot of it around this action research that we're trying to embed is to support staff to recognise whether or not they can recognise themselves, the success and the impact of what they're trying to do. So part of that's going to be peer observations, but also I'm going to dip in just from a teaching and learning perspective to try and offer some support or guidance around how they can potentially develop what they're doing, because, you know, the whole concept might not be bad. It's just that elements of it haven't worked or you know, haven't necessarily delivered it in the appropriate way. So I think a big part of it, you have to allow risk. You have to have that safe space and be supported mm-hmm. to create those opportunities because really it could be amazing, couldn't it? Yeah, it could be. But how many of you are there to go around all the stuff? Um, at the moment, there's me. So that is a challenge sometimes. but. I do feel like I am heavily supported. So I think the innovation that I've tried, and again, I think from my perspective, it's the same kind of thing, isn't it? I've been given the tools and support to go off and try something. And with the idea that really it's going to benefit our staff and our learners. And I think in itself, that's a privilege. And I think, think, yeah, I think it's a real privilege to be part of it. And I think staff sort of trust in you as well don't they they have this unwavering faith in you sometimes and I think it is it's a privilege yeah so have you had any of those difficult conversations then you know with your very privileged position and have you have you had to kind of be brutal or frank and just say you know what this isn't working or you know you're not you know responding to training properly or how do you manage those then with the staff that you've so really support from the line management so that so is it a, does go down the line management route yeah so i think i am supported in that way that if staff are engaging in what we've uh, mandated as training we do have that support mechanism but equally i think if your tone of voice is correct and you get that buy-in from staff mm-hmm. i think it's sort of and it's a slow process sometimes some staff are you know desperate to get involved really want to you know try new things and others don't for a multitude of different reasons and it sometimes is lack of confidence it is workload it is time you know staff can be doing overtime there's lots of different reasons 
But I think it's about building up, isn't it? And I think once staff can recognise that it's a positive experience and potentially there is something in it for them, because that's a big part of it, isn't it? Yeah. Then you do get that buy-in. But if I'm honest, I haven't really found it that negative or that... Oh, I had plenty of those. Well, I had I'm, plenty of those. I'm, I'm sure they'll come. <laughs> I'm sure they'll come. But yeah, so, you know, you take a line management route and, you know, potentially um, impact their performance measures yeah. moving forward. But what happens if um, staff, say, take the risk, they get the impact, What's what's the reward for them? More more CPD. <laughs> so that's the thing, isn't it? I think you know those staff who are willing and want to try new things, but I do think that we are trying to really, really drill home on the celebration of success. And I think mm -hmm. our well, what's going to become an annual learning fair now around sharing good practice. I think staff take quite a pride in the fact that they've been asked to participate in that okay. and recognise yeah. that. You know somebody's come into their classroom and it's not to necessarily you know um manage them in any way or well it is i suppose quality assurance but not in a negative way mm -hmm. because what we're trying to also say is actually we're coming to your classroom and this is something that we've seen it's amazing when we really want you to share that with your peers give them some more work yeah well <laughs> I'm going to reward you with some more work i'm definitely going to use the term celebration of success because i think you know, I think sometimes it can be whereby there's lots of amazing things happening, but sometimes they're not always captured. Where I think yeah, at the moment yeah, we're true. really focusing on capturing that positive activity that's happening around the college. And I suppose the term good practice can change as well. And I think probably historically over the years. Good what, practice, best practice. What is it? And what does it look practice. Like? There's so many different terms mm -hmm. that were like thrown around. And what yeah. does that look like as well? So, yeah. you know, what are the parameters around what is good practice? Mm -hmm. Who dictates that then? So we have a quality team. So the quality team go in and. They'll set the parameters. So, yeah. Ahead, so right. they come back. Do what? the quality team teach? No. When's the last time the quality team talked? Last year. Right. So they, did, so they, they fresh out of curriculum, yeah. Because okay. so, again, you get that as well, you know, institutions, don't you? Yeah. You're judged and, you know, you're judged during execution, of a, for example, mm -hmm. I haven't taught in 20 years. You think, well, hang on. Yeah. <laughs> you don't know what I'm going through. And so that could also be a barrier, I think, to a lot of people wanting to undertake a risk. Yeah. Because of people coming into their classrooms haven't necessarily faced the challenges we're facing today um which which is why you'll find more and more kind of leadership positions now request that they do an element of teaching yeah um and i and i think when i used to be um doing teaching learning and, and things like that i really saw the value of dealing with the learners and, and going in because it was year on year it's a different barrier it's a different issue especially now when we're dealing with demographic changes, um, income changes, I mean, there's so much going on out there that's impacting the education um, sector. But definitely I have seen that's an issue that, that a lot of staff do not appreciate being judged by non-teaching managers, leaders. Oh no, our, our team is very much from curriculum, all taught, all got a wealth of teaching experience. So I suppose that's um, complementing the the kind of strategies and maybe yeah. kind of thing. that's good um so moving on to say the students right so how does everything you do then go down to all of the students or do you have pockets that you focus on is it targeted you said there was some mandated are you expecting to see it all kind of trickle down and do you just spot check it across the board or do you have a process like i'm going to do your little hit list <laughs> how does it work some of the things that we've mandated is around uh, a lot of it has been around planning for learning so trying to sort of standardize how we ask staff to plan for learning so that we've got uh, a structure really around how we are demonstrating that and i think you know potentially for ofsted purposes it's it's a positive thing to say well actually this is the evidence we have 
but also I think on to support the staff I think the training that's in place helps them recognize and correlate between what they're doing in the classroom and how that because essentially we are governed by Ofsted aren't we mm -hmm. you know that is essentially our specification as a teacher isn't it yeah so it's trying to correlate that but I think if you think about the three eyes in its simplest form I think staff can buy into that and recognize it and hopefully what should be happening then is the learner should be, understand what the intent of that curriculum is and how mm -hmm. it's been implemented and if you think about applying that to the workforce if we're teaching health and safety first you know having those conversations with the learner around why we're looking at health and safety first mm -hmm. you know it's paramount you have to be safe in the workplace yeah and then scaffolding the skills as well so once the learners have mastered those basic skills we can then move on to more complex skills and again the learner hopefully will apply that in the workplace that you'll start off maybe at a lower level mm -hmm. or not something as challenging and then progress that way so I do think that it it sort of mirrors the preparation for the learners next steps right so would, what would you say was your biggest barrier then to, to all of this I know we've talked about time and workload and you haven't had as as difficult conversations no. yet yet I say yet maybe we'll catch you next year and see if anything happens but personally think, what have you found difficult in your role obviously there's a financial element as well so I think well, you know yeah, yeah. money isn't forever ending and mm -hmm. a big part of my role is to prioritize so looking at the college's strategic plan but also looking at staffing as an individual but we're a big college with a lot of staff and you know we've got it's just not a forever ending pot of money so I think trying to be really strategic on how you spend that money and mm -hmm. you know where I will be able to see that impact and how it will benefit staff so I definitely think this financial but also I think post-covid we've got you know a lot of staff have requested training to support learners mental health and you know across so you find themes coming out you do yeah, I think right, right. one of the themes post-covid is the fact that we've got more complex mental health issues yeah essentially so Something across the board yeah uh, all ages all sectors and rightly staff want to be able to support the learner in a sense and support themselves support, in a lot of people uh -huh. and the peers I think that yeah so staff well-being staff workload's a big issue mm, um there's potentially an increase in send as well so I think increasing with send learners in mainstream provisions so that needs additional training you know to make sure that we're really meeting the needs and those niche needs of those learners um because gone are the days where you just needed to know about hairdressing and that's it uh, like you, it you, is, can't, you can't just be a hairdressing no, teacher all. you've got to be the pastoral support you've got to and it's a real full package that mm -hmm. needs to be on offer for these kids and attitudes and behaviors you know we, we need to do work around developing behaviors and yeah. how you know strategies them in play. personal development's a big thing resilience it seems to be a massive mm -hmm. thing right now developing resilience a, a lot of uh, articles coming out about that how you build it into your workforce as well as your students absolutely and education is changing and it's changing probably more rapidly than ever isn't it and mm -hmm. i think i do i think I think you're right thematic changes I think we can really recognize that there's the themes that we need to work on but um what is the big theme that everyone goes oh not this again is it is the one is the one that you think I, I can't know. believe I'm doing this again again <laughs> I think I I have been quite positive haven't I but I don't feel like I've came across anything yet because again so many things have changed and so what I think we are bringing to staff uh, you know we have done a little bit of work on things like metacognition we have done a little bit of work on mental health and to support staff as much mm -hmm. as support students so I think I, I feel like staff have been quite receptive oh brilliant love to come check out your college making us a little bit nervous that it's, <laughs> it's all positive no but, it's great it's good to hear great stuff and, and you know I'm a big believer in CPD I think um you know without it would stagnate wouldn't progress yeah and we wouldn't be you know providing the good quality education that we should be um I just don't know if if 
when we were talking about the kind of barriers such as time and workload, I don't think it's always appreciated, like how much time goes into trying to develop an area. And I think, you know, what we've got to appreciate is that students learn in different ways and, and they they process things in different ways, as do adults. Yeah. As the staff. And I think sometimes you know, rolling out CPDs is is not as effective because there's such a diverse group of people that you're delivering to. Um, and then the, the measurement of that success is all again uniform. I do, I have thought a lot about the model of CPD and, you know, it's a large college. So what's the best way to do it? So a lot of the research suggests that staff prefer face-to-face delivery. Yeah. If I'm honest, I think I like staff face-to-face okay. delivery. That whole social learning aspect of it's really important. Mm-hmm. And the idea of... Well, you're also susceptible to, to more conflict that way as well. Yeah, oh, well, yeah, you do. You expose yourself in a way. But I think... And I, that's more expensive. It is. But I still advocate for it because yeah. I think when you walk in around the college after delivering something, so, you know, some of the stuff I have done in a big lecture theatre, mm-hmm. and I think at the start, introducing yourself, like, staff will walk past you in the corridor and stop you and ask you questions, and I think... Oh. I really think that face-to-face is valuable equally i have tried models where we've done i've done pre-recorded mm-hmm. and then i've analyzed the analytics of it so you know and that's also a point of reference for staff later on so yeah. actually assessment and feedback in september is not my priority but actually when i'm getting into october november it is and you know we've had nicola who's really starting it's something that can go back to so I, it, there's value in everything but i think you can't move away from that face to face so well, I'm a so I like I like to talk to people. I don't work very well insular, really. I, I do like total opposite to me. I do like to meet people. <laughs> so I think that's a big part for me as well. And I think building relationships with staff has to be a priority when you. You've got to be their point of trust, haven't you? They've got to trust you with their knowledge, haven't they? And absolutely. And I think, like I said before, it's a it's quite a privileged role, isn't it? You know, you're asking staff to invest in you as much as you're investing in them. And I think. So who's quality assuring you then? Uh, my my line manager is the director of quality. Right. So that person quality assures what quality I deliver, quality. what I'll send. You know, they might drop into sessions. Right. The online. So yeah, I I am quality assured also. Okay. All right. Just checking. Just checking. <laughs> Just checking. No, I'm not going rogue. Because <laughs> again, you know, brother. Well, maybe that's a question for for everyone. You know, can anyone? develop anyone like or do you need a qualification is it is there something that you need to have to become a learning and development person because surely once you're a teacher you should be able to teach no matter what age or whatever I do think it's a role that potentially some people would avoid right because it's just I I don't think it's for everyone and but what kind of skills do you think you need then to become someone that teachers, trains, other staff? Organisational. It's a big, it's, you know, you've got, you, you look at that weekly calendar and you're trying to accommodate everybody else's calendar in line with your calendar and, you know, so how you organise your time and how you use your time is really important. But equally, a thing that I really wanted to work on is to be personable to staff. I want, I want to be stopped in the corridor. I want to be spoken to. I want staff to say, come and have a look at what I'm doing. Yeah. You know, I, I really want to build those relationships. So I suppose communication skills are everything. And, you know, giving staff the time. And sometimes what I've found is staff just would like an ear just to, you know, test things on and mm-hmm. try things. And, that's sounding board. Yeah, yeah, and I think Good. that's just as valuable that's sometimes right. yeah. as a training session, isn't it? And I think I think communication skills are probably paramount in I. I like to think that I would be approachable to staff as well. You, you don't think a, a specific qualification or anything like that? I am. Um, I have taught the PSET program at our college for about eight or nine years, so I have done a lot of work with new starters, inducting right. new staff, um, mentoring, mentoring. Yeah, that kind. So I, I think that's helped. I do think that that's had a. And equally, I've been obligated to keep up to date with educational research yeah. through that role. So. I think that's set set you in good stead as well for this role. I think that's been important. Brilliant. 
Um, so how have you kind of, um, so you said you research loads um, of the PSET programme. So how have you put that research into practice? Because that is a challenge in itself. It is. Um, I've recently taken up my master's qualification, so I'm working on that currently. And I think that's really helped me recognise the changes in education. And I do think some of the topics that I've covered, I've thought, yeah, we need to be trying that. And mm -hmm. I think in a way I've exposed myself to to what's happening and how things are happening and what's changing. And I, I'm trying to share good practice around most up to date and current research. So what I'm trying to look at this year is, and I've got the first one set up for October, is a masterclass model. Mm -hmm. So I'm trying, it's going to be a webinar because I've, I've, again, I've really thought through the model and I'm going to do a webinar for half an hour, short topic, first one's on metacognition. Mm -hmm. And then I'm hoping to set up two across the week drop-in sessions for staff who can come along and talk about how metacognition is going to work in their classroom. And again, sharing that good practice. So I'm hoping that you get hair and beauty lecturers, you get construction lecturers, you get maths and English. So I'm hoping that a, a community of practice. Yeah, that's what I'm trying to work mm -hmm. on. And with the with the webinar, is that like a interactive webinar? Is that kind of like a um a lecture style delivery? Like what, what, where are you going? Because then if you're coming together afterwards, is that where you do the discussion around it? And I think that's why I've gone with that model, because I, I did think about an interactive one, but I thought if I want to keep it short and sharp to get those key points over, not that I envisage I may, but potentially you could have five people log into it. And I think that is unmanageable, <laughs> isn't it? You know, you just couldn't. So I thought if we kept it to a webinar just for the detail and the content, mm -hmm. then I'm hoping to take maybe as a reason article or mm -hmm. something current to discuss in that community of practice aspect of it. Well. Right, you'll have to keep us posted and see how that goes. What other kind of strategies are you trying out? And what's 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 give give our listeners some ideas? And listeners, obviously, if you've got any ideas, please share them. Um, but yeah, what else is out there? Absolutely, because I think in this role there isn't a a necessarily straightforward. This is how you have to do it, is mm -hmm. there? And I think that's the fun part. Where that comes with <laughs> a degree of privilege of the fact that people are having a little bit of faith in the, what you're doing. <laughs> What I'm finding is you can get so many ideas that you think, I don't know where to start. But then I think prioritise, don't you? So a mm. lot of work around planning for learning, trying to embed the master classes. Action. So how did you kind of roll out the planning for learning CPD? What, what, what kind of? So I've tried two different models. OK. So the first model was mandated. Everybody got the same message. This is the format we're using. These was that are, via an email? No, or? I did cross-college um, sessions right, in yeah. sort of big lecture halls. So I would say it probably took about two to three weeks because wow. what you find is... You not, always miss someone. <laughs> yeah, not, not all staff are available at nine o'clock on a Monday. Not all staff are no. available at 12. So Unless you're in... I mean, some organisations obviously have dedicated time, don't they? Do yeah. Time where everything's closed down. Um, this we obviously have got a lot of staff so that worked and staff and what I found as well is people still were asking questions in those sessions which was great, great. Mm. from that the staff feedback said you know the content was great but I would like to see it on a workshop model so uh, I've created a workshop model of planning for learning so All it's right. sort of a booklet based activity where it's broken down step by step we've got guidance from the Ethan there we've got you know we're trying to look at Rose and Shine's principles in action and mm -hmm. we've got top tips from there we've got critical thinking skills embedded it's sort of like a, a breakdown step by step help guide mm -hmm. so I've done it in teams so I've done it with you know one team all together I've done it with individual members of staff I've done it with some new starters right and I I think that's probably had the greatest impact. The workshop. Yeah, the workshops. Oh. So you send the wider message, but then the workshops, because I think, you know, if you have all the health and care staff together, it's quite easier to model their curriculum rather than having 20 different disciplines all in one room mm. and trying to give examples. So I, th I think that's probably had one of the biggest impacts so far because staff can book in when they want, you know. Some staff do one session, some staff I've done six sessions with. Wow. And so, that's dedication right there. Mm -hmm, that's it. But 
if you can see the impact, then it's worth it, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. So, so have you tried anything else? Just just thinking of different ways to get CPD out there. So you've mentioned kind of webinars, you've mentioned workshops, you've mentioned community practice. You said about um, the CPDs, yeah, CPD days, and you've done the lecture hall stuff. What else kind of could organisations look to? So are you are you always delivering this stuff or do you get guest speakers in? Do you get externals? Do you Well predominantly it's been me, but on reflection I think staff can get sick of the same message. Uh-huh. So I think what I'm now trying to do is look at what other staff are doing to see if we can make that into a CPD activity. So what well, you I'm, mentioned the masterclass. Yeah, so oh, yeah. what I'm hoping with the masterclass is that we can look at the college as a whole. And, you know, maybe I do one a term, one, one, whatever, but other people coming and sharing something like a, mm-hmm. a topic. So obviously I'm hoping you're going to come along and do something. Oh, check that out. So, uh, <laughs> so yeah, I think because I think it can become a little bit diluted if it's the same person over and over again. Yeah. You know, I've got another CPD session with Nicola. Oh, they'll be busy with the event. So, <laughs> but I think different perspectives, isn't it? And I think, think yeah. so that's what I'm hoping to model through the masterclass. You know, one month with someone, one, and I think that again, staff buy-in because that's not mandated. So mm-hmm. I'm hoping that the staff who find it of interest will think, oh, it's maths and English, or oh, it's STEM this week, or oh, yeah. it's, and you know, not everything's relevant to everyone, not everything's interesting to everyone. So a bit of selective choice, I think, as well. Rather well, than... that, that was the other thing I was going to say. So again, in my experience, um, it was the same people. The same people that put themselves forward for CPD and, you know, when it was optional um, and they were the ones, you know, the same people. Are, it's it's like your classroom, isn't it? The same people with students with yeah. their hands up to answer the question. Um, so how how do we get the kids or the staff at the back of the classroom that are trying to hide um, in, involved? Like if it's optional, obviously mandated CPD they have to do, but how do we lure them other ones in? Again, I think, I know it's not, well, it is a bit, it is important. I know it is the time and when you offer it. Mm-hmm. So I think you have to get that right for it to be manageable for staff. Right. But also, I think they have to see the value in it. And I think, again, that's probably partly my right, Does it come with the pay rise? Because <laughs> <laughs> then you'd have them all lined up. Well, it is, I think, anything because you some do. Some organisations do connect cpd to their increments oh, okay yeah so i've seen you know if you don't complete x amount of cpd that's measured and demonstrated you don't get your increment so i guess that's not something that you guys do no no, no that's not a model what are your thoughts on that i don't I don't think it's something I would like to implement. Oh, I would love it. <laughs> I Give do... me a pay rise. I'll sign up to anything. But then, but then <laughs> are you doing it for the right reasons? Yeah. <laughs> it so, has to be, a, a, you know, at the end of the day, everything is commodified. So, But like you've said, is in any other occupation, we'll have to continuously professionally develop. To keep our jobs. To stay current. <laughs> to stay relevant. <laughs> no. Right. How you get the naughty? Interesting. Yeah, yeah. How are you getting those naughty ones then? If you're not, if you're not dangling a, a pound coin in front of them. Um, I think that's a, it's a difficult question because I think when we're mandated, obviously everybody has to come yeah. and you know, but really it's not just about turning up, isn't it? It's about engagement in the activity. Mm-hmm. And I think if you're just coming along and listening to the information and signing a register and leaving, then you can't there's no impact is there no. really what what i think has to be your focus is how are staff engaging in it so really what i would rely on is seeing the fact that you know metacognition's next month's topic for master class so all right when we are doing quality assurance and deep dives and observations and walkthroughs and whatever else can we see that metacognition in the classroom and can we see staff making learners aware of their own metacognition and you know, talking through those work examples. So when you get questionnaire, don't forget you've got to define first. And if you can, so talking students through that process, hopefully we'll see that happen in the classroom. And then what happens if you don't? Well, I'll be out of a job. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, no, because I, I always think 
you've you will because I think there's always staff who are willing and want to and and can see the value. So I think again I haven't had any negativity about. I feel like somebody's always taken something, and I think it's about building, isn't it? A, you know that staff engagement, but you can't please everyone all the time. And I think you know there's going to be some staff who just don't want to engage in staff CPD, but the mandated ones. Yeah, you have you to have because to, I think we we'll have, we'll have to stay up to date, we we'll have to stay current, we we'll have to stay we we'll have to understand how learning's taking place and how different learning is now and, and some of it's related to national policies, you know. Absolutely. It's not just organizational stuff out there, you know, when you think about the safeguarding and um and well, safe education, education. Yeah. 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 So it's not like prevent and things like that you have to do. Um but I just I just wonder you know you, you haven't you say you haven't had those negative experiences yet but what does happen with the lecturer who doesn't engage is it a you know compliance is it a um capability issue I I just worry I think you know so far now you know there's so much emphasis on CPD 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 more so than I think I heard you know eight seven eight years ago um there's real kind of focus on in in again measuring obtaining recording cpd what happens if someone's just not doing it and and is that you know worth losing an experienced member of staff over or, or would you just say you know what this person's not doing it i suppose because i don't have line management of staff all i can do really from my perspective is report that to their line manager mm-hmm. so but what i would say to staff who don't want to engage who aren't engaged I think it probably is going to have a negative impact on your practice so I think where you've got maybe your colleagues who are trying innovative things who Mm -hmm. are trying to support learners metacognition give positive feedback Mm -hmm. I think that will be reflected in that performance Mm -hmm. so I think really in a nutshell I suppose it's in staff's best interest to engage in staff CPD but again, I know exactly what you're thinking. You can't, you can't get everybody to, can you? You can't. And there is going to be people who just don't want to. But I really try to approach it positively. And I think, again, like we said at the start, I taught in curriculum for 15 years. I'm not asking you to do anything that I haven't tried to do myself, or mm-hmm. I wouldn't try and do myself, or. And I do understand the position that you're in, and you know, there's lots of other things going on, but. CPD is in the best interests of staff, isn't it? And it is an organisational approach, but why would you not want to be good at what you do? And why would you not want to work in an outstanding college? Why would you not want to have outstanding practices? You know, it means more work and less time. No, <laughs> well, not working smaller, not harder. So you know, if you engage in maybe new strategies and techniques, then mm. you know, it can be time saving. Yeah, yeah. I think that's a really good point. Innovative it? techniques around feedback now, isn't there? Where, you know, you're not slogging away on a Sunday afternoon, writing reams and reams and reams of marking up. There's there's other ways to assess, more innovative ways to assess that has a positive impact on your workload. But unless we've got somebody who's exposing staff to those techniques, then they're going to struggle on this. So I suppose my job in a sense as well is to also consider staff workload and why I'm asking them to do. But equally, is there any ways that I can be creative to support that workload and mm. show them any techniques that would support them? Brilliant. Um, we are coming to the end of our time. Um, so I'm just going to summarise kind of what we've gone through today. So we've had all of the talk about CPD, the processes, we've had some different strategies and how you can roll it out, the intention. We've talked a bit about CPD and the impact on the students, the staff and the organisation as a whole. So really kind of broad um, view of CPD and some of the kind of challenges or barriers maybe and how we could overcome them. A lot of positivity from you there, Nicola. Love it. Uh, try to bring you down the dark side, but you you resisted well. <laughs> the big part of the job specification just to stay upbeat. But, uh, but again, I think that's so important, isn't it? I it think is. staff, you know, should see somebody that's passionate and excited and 
No, because yeah. I think imagine going along and saying, "Well, give us a try." I mean, you know, <laughs> it might work for you. It might. I just think you wouldn't. Buy I wouldn't it. try it you myself, but you have to. <laughs> I come skipping along in your stuff and saying, "Yums, come on, please give I'll us a try." I'll be like, "What is she doing yes, in the morning?" Again. <laughs> But equally, I think staff have really bought into that. And I think, well, oh, she thinks it's a canny idea. It must be a good idea. <laughs> What's the canny idea? You oh, have to sorry. explain it for the listeners. Sorry, I forget my geographical location. Canny <laughs> um, would be a really good idea. Good idea for all of you listeners out there struggling yeah. to decipher this. <laughs> I forgot about the um, language barrier. Um, but yeah, is there anything else you wanted to kind of add from your experience there, Nicola, before we close up? Just that I think. And I think this is another thing I've really reflected on. Anybody considering coming out of curriculum, because obviously my role is now is in a managerial, managerial position, is that I think I've been personally developed. I think, you know, in the last 18 months, I've learned lots about curriculum, curriculum planning, how the organisation works in sort of a, a more strategic element of it. So anybody who is considering taking the leap out of curriculum, it's I've had a really positive experience but, but also that curriculum knowledge you have is invaluable so I, I do think that that's a, a a real plus point but I've had, I've had a lovely experience oh brilliant I will say that it's not always lovely but um, I mean they're keeping it real now you do have those difficult moments and I think you know the, the key thing is to just stay with that resilient nature and really focus on the the goal there is to develop staff students um the future it is it is <laughs> oh thank you so much for having um coming on today nicola and um i hope you will keep us posted and updated on your positive cpd drive well thank you for having us oh cheers thanks everyone thanks for listeners join us again in a couple of weeks and um see you then <laughs>